before I even said a word. So glad to have everyone here this morning. And uh, of course, uh, here we are in the middle of uh, the summer heat. And uh, I guess we've been getting a lot of rain too, haven't we? Seems like lately. Anyways, I got to find my. Um, I got my second mom and pa down here front to keep me in line here. So, Brother Bob and Sister Jean, if you've never heard the story about them being my second mom and dad, ask me sometime and I'll tell you about it. It's a pretty funny story. But anyways, um, so yesterday we had a picnic, and uh, if you haven't heard, if you, if you weren't there, you really missed out. It was packed at the pavilion yesterday. And uh, we had over 123 visitors come to that picnic yesterday. Unbelievable. And uh, the work that uh, Ben and the kids did this past week, I mean, they, I think they knocked over 1,500 doors or something like that in the past week. And uh, we, we saw the fruit from that yesterday. It's unbelievable. So uh, there's some exciting things going on here. It's exciting things. And I would encourage each and every one of you to jump in and be a part of it. Because there's there's some really good things. I, I don't know if any uh, if we'll have any fruit, you know, coming to church and wanting to be a part of us. He did set up some Bible studies. I know that. So uh, wonderful things are going on, and uh, I want to encourage each and every one of you to be sure and be a part of that. Um, uh, the work that's going on here for the Lord. The Lord is blessing us greatly. It's it's so neat that we have that uh, that property there where we can do things like this. You know that. And a few years ago, that just kind of, it kind of just fell on our hands. You know, I mean, we had to take advantage of it, but uh, for some reason, it became available. Interesting how that worked out, right? So, uh, some great things are going on. Um, anyway, so if you want to, uh, we can uh, get be begin today with our going over our prayer list. And uh, I forgot to bring my bulletin with me. So, can I borrow your bulletin there, bro? Pop, thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see. Okay, um, and of course you heard about Jim Henson's daughter passing last week, and uh, I think the funeral was uh, uh, yesterday, I believe it was. So uh, please remember Jim and your prayers as well. His youngest daughter, Jamie Wimpy, suddenly passed last week. And of course, I'm sure you heard Tamara Holder's mother passing last week as well. So Tamara and Tim... We're in Ohio dealing with that issue, so please remember Tamara as well. Skip Jackson's going to uh, want to understand he's being he's being moved to a rehab center. Yeah, okay. So uh, he's been at, he's been in Northridge, Georgia, in rehab, but he's going to be moving now. So okay. So please attend. Remember Skip and Deborah in your prayers as well. Um, I guess Jim and Mary Freeman are not here. Uh, they've got COVID. So, how they doing? They doing okay? Okay. Well, it just continues to go on, don't it? So, uh, remember Jim and Mary in your prayers as well. Usually, I've got them here. Now, I've got them. So, and y'all, did y'all have COVID? Either one of y'all? You got it, didn't you? Yeah. So, y'all have been through all that. All right, good. All right, um... So, continue remember those who who dealing with that. Uh, we've got several others on our list here. Anybody else that we need to be remembering in our prayers at this time? <clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. All right, let's go to our Father in prayer before we begin today. 
Father in heaven, we thank you as being for blessing us, Father, in the way that you bless us. We thank you for your love, for your care for us, for your sending of your Son, Father, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for the blessing that you give us in our personal lives and in, in this congregation, Father. We thank you for the people that are here, uh, the lives they live for you, the lives they live for you, Father, the love they have for you and each other, and we just thank you for them, Father. We ask you to continue to bless this congregation. Help this uh, community to be blessed. Uh, for the work that's going on here, the things you're doing through the people here, and we just thank you for that. We ask you to be with those who are on our prayer mentioned on our prayer list today, Father, that they might be comforted and healed, Father, and come back with us soon, and uh, we just thank you for all the help that uh, the doctors are providing for them and any, anyone else here that's ministering to those who are sick or in poor health. Please continue to watch over them and help us know how to minister to each other in a way that's uplifting and edifying and... Um, just uh, continue to, to be with them, Father. We ask you to be with us during our class time today, Father, as we study some things about your word from uh, the Galatian letter. We ask you to help us to be able to take what we hear today and apply it in our lives that we might grow spiritually and be better servants in the kingdom, Father. We just thank you for, for your kingdom, for your church, for the, for the promises that we have through, through the belief and our faith through you, Father. We ask you to be with the leaders of this nation at this time that they might make decisions based on your will, based on your word, and they might be able to, that we might be blessed through that, Father, as well. We just ask you to be with us whatever we're doing, work, or play, especially this coming week. Help us to be safe in travels and uh, wherever we are. And we thank you for Jesus, and we ask you forgiveness, Father, for we do sin and we do fall short. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray at this time. Amen. All right. So first, let me give thanks to Brother Todd for uh, filling in for me last week. Uh, I had to, uh, had to work. I was up all that Saturday night, Sunday morning working, so uh, that's sometimes I have to do that. I'm in, I'm, I'm in IT, so some, you know, when, when you make changes in IT, they make you do it on a Saturday night when nobody's working, you know, so I had to do that. So every once in a while I have to do that, but I appreciate Todd filling in, and I know he did a great job, and uh, I know he had a PowerPoint going. I'm not usually one to do that, but... He's, a, he's good at it, so uh, hope you enjoyed that class. All right, you can be opening up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We'll be continuing in chapter 2 today. <clears throat> and following up with a lesson that, that uh, Todd led last week on, on Peter and Paul and the fact that, you know, we read about there in chapter 2 where Paul had met up with the other apostles and he had to, he had to challenge Peter a little bit, right? He had to make a challenge because Peter was not, had fallen back into not associating with the Gentiles. He was still only associating with the Jews, you know, and, and he was kind of doing it when, when the Jews were there, right? He was saying he, he would actually go to associate with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came in, he kind of went back to the way it was before. Paul had to challenge him on that, right? He had to say, no, you, you know, this is for all. And Peter had a hard time with that. And we even know that from Acts 10 11, right, when he had to go talked to Cornelius when he saw the vision, he was still struggling with the fact that the gospel was meant for all, not just the Jews. And so we had that challenge there that Paul's doing. And we, we find out a lot about Christian life, right? About how we are to live through the Apostle Paul. It's not just Peter being challenged, right? We're challenged, and we should be. Paul wrote over half the New Testament. The words that we have in the New Testament more than half of them are written by Paul. So we should be trying to understand what he has to say in these letters, especially, 
and understand his life that we can read about in Acts and the things that he went through to understand how we should be living and how we should be meeting uh, commitments, how we maybe should be challenged in our lives. Paul had a certain attitude, right? A certain uh, set of principles that he lived by. And today we're going to focus on what that was and how that should be affecting our lives. Turn to Galatians chapter 2, and let's just read the last two verses of that chapter. In verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. All right, so what's Paul saying here? These are the principles, or the principle that he lives by. Paul is governed by this very fact that he has become a Christian, a son of God, a child, I mean a child of God, not a son of God, and he now lives for Christ. That has guided his life as a disciple, and it speaks to the life which he now lives in the, in the flesh. Paul says his life which he lived in the flesh was a life crucified with Christ, all right? Well, how's that possible? I mean, did he, did he go to the cross and die just like Jesus? Well, no, of course not. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Let's just see what he had to say about that. Romans chapter 6. And you might put a uh, marker in Romans. We'll, we'll be reading several verses out of there. Uh, actually, let me mark Galatians. I'll get back to it quickly. <coughs> Romans 6, just begin in verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Interesting comments, right? Interesting comments in the fact that when we were baptized, we were baptized into his death, raised again, just like he was, raised to newness of life. We, we can't go back in and, 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 and time and join Christ on the cross, right? We can't do that. But that's how we are crucified. That begins when we die with him. When we die to sin, when we die to the life for ourselves, to a life that we want. Baptism into death, being united together in the likeness of his death, crucifying our old man, our old self, along with Christ. It's not so much that we, are, we physically go back and get on the cross with him, but we are crucifying our lives, our lives to ourselves, our desires, our evil 
desires, our evil sins, the things that we want to do that are not Christ-like. We die together with Christ because we've been baptized into him. We can say together with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ, right? What does that mean? What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Well, in Galatians, we're studying about the fact that there were a lot of Judaizing teachers, right? Trying to have the Christians, particularly in the churches in Galatia, keep the old law. You know, they got to be circumcised. They still got to keep the Mosaic law. And Paul's rebuking, refuting that. He's, he's constantly having to say, no, we are, now not, we are not under the law. We are under grace. For some, that would mean then that when we are crucified with Christ, we are, it means that we have a death to the law. Paul wrote of himself as a Jew who was at one time under the law of Moses. Let's, let's continue reading in Romans chapter 7 there and see what he says about that. And uh, beginning in verse 1, Romans 7, he says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who is husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another woman, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we are in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We no longer have the law to rule over us, right? We no longer have to be completely obedient. Yes, we, we know what sin is through the law, but we now love Christ and we now serve Him and we have a grace for what He did for us. Interesting, right? We have been crucified with Christ. We have put to death the law. The law is no longer controlling us. The law is no longer holding sin over our heads. We've been free from that. I know that's kind of hard to understand, right? That's kind of hard to grasp. For some, perhaps this is, makes it a little easier to understand, is that we have now put to death ourselves. And that's what I was talking about earlier, right? It's, not, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about what you want in life. There's nothing wrong with having some ambitions and goals in your life. But ultimately, it's what God wants that matters. It's His will. One of the things that we do when we're praying with Him is we're trying to line up our desires, our will, with what He wants in our lives, right? Do you do that when you pray? When you pray, are you asking God, reveal to me what you want in my life? And I know a lot of you folks in here, a little older, been around a little while, I used to preach that to my kids. I'd say, when you're trying to decide what you want to do with your life, ask God about it. First and foremost, that's what you should be doing. Ask Him what He wants for your life. Do that over and over. You're going to find out. One way or another, you're going to find out what He wants for your life. If that's truly what you're doing. And that's one of the things we're talking about here. We've been crucified. We have put to death ourselves. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Luke 9. Let's turn over there and see what the Lord said about that exactly. Luke chapter 9. And this is a pretty poignant set of, uh, set of uh, verse here. And we've read it many times, but it doesn't hurt to go back and see what he says again. Luke 9, verse 23. Then he, said to, then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that's, that's an interesting set of verses, right? It's interesting words that he says there, right? But that's what he's talking about. It's no longer you. It's him. You lose your life. You crucify yourself for what he wants in your life. No, you're not physically dying. It's not a, that's not a, uh, a literal physical crucif crucifixion that you're going through, but it is a process. When you become a Christian, it is a process of denying yourself, putting him on, trying to live like him and do what he wants in your life. And that's not easy to do, I know. We, we have things we want, right? We have things we desire. We want certain things in our life, right? It's hard to sometimes say, if I'm going to do the will of the Father, I can't be involved in this or that. I can't go out and... and spend my money on all this extravagant stuff, you know, when I need to be supporting the work of the church. Things like that are part of it, right? For all, it means that, a death to self. It also means we have crucified the flesh, which occurred in principle at our baptism, and which incurs in practice as we continue to put to death the deeds of the body. Deeds of the body meaning what? sinful desires, right? Temptations that we have to do things that we know are not right. And we know them because it's been revealed through the law what sin is, right? So we know it. We, we have no excuse there. But that's a constant process. Have anybody, has anyone in here figured it all out? Has anyone here figured out how to stop sinning? Stop failing? No, only one man ever did that. Jesus Christ. So it's a constant crucifying of yourself, denying yourself, avoiding the temptation to sin. For all it also means we have been crucified to the world. In Galatians, turn over to Galatians chapter 4, read a couple of verses from there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And then in verse 9 he says, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You see, that's what that crucifixion, <clears throat> that's what being crucified with Christ is about. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We've been crucified. We're now under grace for what he did for us. And we are free. That's what the freedom is. We don't have that burden anymore. The burden of sin, the burden of not having a way out, right? Not having any hope. Through him, we have crucified to the world. And the world is an evil place, isn't it? It's dark, right? All you got to do is read John 1. 
He came into the dark world. He was that light. In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became that light in that dark world. You know, all you got to do is watch the news, right? And you see all the messes going on. You know, sin is rampant in our world. It's no longer cool to be heterosexual even, right? I mean, the world's flipped that over. There's things in this world that are totally ungodly. And as disciples, we have been crucified to this world. We have been sanctified. We're no longer part of the world. I can't stress that enough. We're not in the world. It's so easy, though, isn't it? It's so easy to get back into the world and, and be part of it. And, you know, you got your friends that are not Christians, and they're, they're doing things, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer. Or I don't want to be the party pooper, you know. I want to be friendly. And, well, they're part of the world. You're not. Simple as that. You've been crucified. You've put to death the ways of the world. That doesn't mean you can't associate people. That doesn't mean we can't go out and knock doors and try to bring others into the fold. That was a wonderful thing yesterday. It was hot outside, but there are a lot of folks that I'd never seen before. A lot of folks. It's a good thing. They're getting to see the light a little bit. Yeah, we weren't out there preaching to everybody. We were just having some fellowship. But they're getting to see what that's all about. And that's what we're to be about. That's part of that being crucified to the world. Before we were obedient to Christ, we were in bondage. Did you know that? Before you were a Christian, you were in bondage to the world, to sin. No hope. No hope whatsoever. But now Christ is our authority, our ruler in our lives. Any external law or world or internal desires, selfish desires, controls, should have been surrendered to the authority of Christ. We understand that, right? You've heard that, and I know a million times before, most of you. But sometimes that's not easy to do, is it? It's not easy to surrender self to what God wants. And we have struggles. Everyone has struggles with temptation. I know that. And sometimes it's hard. Man, temptation can be very strong very strong thing one who's been baptized into Christ and is letting Jesus be his authority in all things is living a life crucified with Christ that's what that means <clears throat> but note that Paul also wrote the life which I now live is a life in which Christ lives in me okay so we've been crucified with Christ we're now surrendering to his authority we're surrendering to what he wants, trying to do his will. But Paul says, he now lives in me. What does that mean exactly? How does Christ live in me? Well, it's, it's like, you know, it's kind of like electricity, right? You know what I mean? We don't know how it works. Well, maybe, I don't know, there might be a couple engineers that know how it works. I just know when you turn the switch on, the light comes on, right? And I'm not very fast. I don't know if you were here before the Benji on Wednesday night talking about Muhammad Ali said he was so fast that he could flip the switch off and get in bed before it turned dark. That's pretty fast. I remember when he said that, too. He said a lot of fun stuff. 
but we don't have to understand it. We just plug into it, right? We plug in and we get the power. In other words, I don't understand what's all behind it. I don't understand how it all works, but I know how to get it going. That's what we're talking about here. We are taught how to make sure that he will abide in us. Turn over to the book of John. Read a few verses from chapter 14 there. Beginning verse 19. He's talking to the disciples. He's, he's kind of telling them that he's not going to be around much longer. They're not understanding it. But he's giving them some basic stuff here. Verse 19, he says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Wow, what does he mean by that? And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judah said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. How do we know that we abide in him? We keep his commandments. We're motivated to do his will. Doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with sin. But we're trying to do what he wants. That picnic yesterday, the work that people were doing, going out knocking doors. Did they just do that because they woke up and said, I want to go knock some doors today? No. I hate doing that. <laughs> it's not a lot of fun, really. But they're doing it because they're obeying the will of God. They have a mission. We have a mission. That's part of that, right? That's part of that, being someone who has Christ living in them. What benefits come from Christ living us? Well, we have that wonderful love of the Father and the Son, just like Jesus said there. We have it. I'm not going to go back and read it, but do you remember when you studied Daniel? And it talked about when the king made the decree that all those who worshipped any other god but the king should be put to death. And after the decrees were sent out to all the people, Babylon, verse 10, I think it's Daniel 6. I, have, I didn't go back and look. Verse 10 says, And Daniel went home and prayed three times that day, as was his custom. Didn't deter Daniel. He did what he was supposed to do. He did the will of God, even in the face of death. And then a little later, when he's out by the bank and he sees the vision, and the angel comes to him, and what's the angel say? Daniel, you are beloved. First, first thing he says to him. 
You see, when you keep the commandments, you are showing your love for the Father, for the Son, and you are beloved. Beloved by who? Not, not your boss at work. Not your friend who lives down the street. You might have a little love there. But you know what? None of them be loved you enough to die for you. I'm pretty sure of that. But God did. God does. He wants you to be saved. He has that much love that he would send his own son to die for you. That's what you get by having Christ live in you. John 15, there, verse 11, we have their joy, right? The joy that surpasses all understanding. John 16, 33, there is a peace. We can have a peace even when we're in big trouble. And I don't mean sinful trouble. I mean, you know, health-wise or, or loss of a job or whatever it is. We can still have peace because we know he loves us. John 17, 24, there's a hope of being with him and beholding his glory. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah, absolutely. We, we tend to talk about love, right, in our, in our families, but we don't talk about the ultimate love, the first commandment, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We kind of leave that out at times, don't we? And you're right. Absolutely right. First and foremost is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Absolutely. That's what this crucified with Christ thing is about. That's what this now he lives in me. You wonder what that means. Well, I don't feel anything different. I, when I became a Christian, I didn't feel like Jesus jumped in me and started living in me. No. But you were beginning the process of learning what he wanted for you, obeying his commandments, putting away sinful desires. When you were doing that, that's Christ living in you and showing love for him. Paul has a little more to say about this, right? In this life that I now live. These are just a few of the blessings we receive in him. 
Paul says, that life which I now live is a life that being, that's done by faith in Christ Jesus. The word faith implies trust, right? Living by faith is Christ means control, uh, completely trusting in him. And that's not easy to do either, right? I mean, sometimes we want to put our trust in ourselves, right? You know, the old phrase, if you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself, right? And I know that doesn't exactly apply to this situation, but what we're saying is we put our trust in him, he's going to take care of us. Turn over to 1 John. See what we get by doing that. Chapter 1. And whenever I, and I do, I have struggles with sin and stuff, I'll go to 1 John and just read it. First chapter here. Look at verse 7, beginning of verse 7. There's, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, that's easily said, you know, probably easier said than done, right? But the point is, as long as you are keeping his commandments, you are showing your love for him, and you are cleansed by his blood. That's what John's saying in verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth's not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. By that crucifixion, crucifying ourselves, him living in us, Having that faith, we have an advocate to the Father. He becomes our propitiation. His blood constantly cleanses us as we continue to walk in the light. And you pretty much know, right, if you're walking in the light, don't you? I mean, we know what sin is, right? Sure, we struggle with things. There's temptations that we have that we struggle with. I know that. He knows that too. But he's there to help you with that. That's what this is all about, that love for you. Love enough that he would come and save you, that he would send his son, who was the word, be in the flesh, give us a solid foundation for our lives. And guess what? Matthew 18, verse 20 says, he will never forsake us. He's never going to go back on his word. The world does that, right? You got friends who throw you under the bus every once in a while. Ever had that happen? Didn't feel too good, did it? Ever had a boss that promised you a promotion and then somebody else got it? That didn't feel very good either, did it? Ever had a spouse that cheated on you? There's some here that have. And I know that didn't feel good. But God will never forsake you, go back on his promises. When he says something, it's in the bank. Absolutely. You can count on it. 
and by having that rock, that foundation, why wouldn't you want to be his child? Why wouldn't you want to put all your trust into him? Why wouldn't you want to just die to self? Let him take it over. Remember, we're only here for a little while. We're just a vapor. It's here for a little while and then vanishes away. What really matters is what you do for eternity, what you do for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. That's where our focus should be. It's not about self. It's not about the law. It's not about the world. It's about Jesus Christ. Why should we do it? Well, I just said, because he loves us. He loves us enough to send his own son that he died for us. He gave himself for us. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible, in my opinion. Verse 34. Actually, let's start with verse 31. He says, what shall we say? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and there furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate, separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There you have it. Paul just said it. When you become a child of God, there ain't nothing can separate you except yourself. And even death won't separate you if you live faithfully to the end. Such love should compel one to live a life of true faith, right? A life in Him, right? Life which is not set aside God's grace. It's another thing he says there, right? What's he mean by that? Well, we must diligently keep his commands, right? As a true indication of our love for him. And as a true indication we really, that we really know him, we are to continually be in prayer, continually be in study, continually be in service. It's not anything that we do though right it's not that we can merit our own salvation it's not that we can do enough work to be saved we're still unworthy sinners no matter what we do we're still not worthy of salvation 
because of sin. You see, Paul says it's that grace. We're not denying the grace. We're living a life in him because of what he did for us. After all is said and done, we're still saved only by what he did for us. Our faith would be useless, right? Our repentance meaningless, our baptism fruitless, useless, right? Our salvation impossible if not for his love for us and what he did for us. And so, from the beginning to the end, we must look to him and his grace. Right? We are totally dependent on it. Lord, he said, he's promised us a life eternal with him. We're faithful to him. He knew we had to have forgiveness. He did it through the shedding of the blood of his son. If we think we've earned anything there, then Paul says Christ died in vain. I mean, if we can earn our own salvation, what was the point? Why would he have needed to send Christ? Right? We had no hope before that. We really didn't. That's something that maybe we don't think about much, but without Christ dying for us, we just here for a little while and then we dead, we die. That's it, right? What kind of life is that? What kind of hope is that? I would encourage each and every person here to do as Paul said in First Corinthians 11 1, he said, Imitate me as I am an imitator of Christ Jesus. You see, you can be an example to the world too. Just like we were talking about yesterday at the picnic. Showing a dark world what it's like to live with Christ living in us. You can do it too. If you're an imitator of him, just like Paul said, people can imitate you. Any of you in here have children or have grown children? What's the old adage? You know, sometimes you, you probably, maybe your parents even said, well, don't do as I do, do as I say, right? But you knew in the back of your mind that it was what you did that mattered, that that's what your kids were going to see, right? That's what really mattered. Yeah, you could, you could preach to them all day long, but if what you preached wasn't practiced, it wasn't going to take, was it? Well, you do it, why can't I? Right? Yeah. We know that. Such was the life of Paul, lived in the flesh. A life crucified with Christ. A life in which Christ lived in him. A life living by faith in Christ. A life that did not set aside the grace of God. Why should we love him? Well, that grace. What he did for us. Absolutely. Can the same be said of us? Have we been crucified with Christ through baptism? If you haven't, today's the best day of any to do it. Get started. Get on with it. Is Christ living in us? You know, manifested? It's, are you keeping his commandments? That's how you know, right? 
And you know, you know if you're keeping his commandments. Are you living by faith in Christ, trusting his word, believing everything you read here is from God? Or do you let the world creep in and tell you, eh, this isn't true. This is just a bunch of guys who wrote some stuff down. Are you always trusting in that grace of God? Not your own goodness, because you're not good. Only one that was good. Not trusting in your obedience. Yeah, you are to serve. You're created for good works, but you don't trust in that. That's not what's going to save you. You're saved by the grace of God. Through faith, that not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If there's anything that I want you to get out of the lesson today is, and, and you know this stuff, right? You, you know. You read the verses, but then, but then sometimes we don't know, right? We don't quite get it. And something I want you to understand is, it's not our lives anymore. It's not about us. Everything we do should be. What would Jesus want? Yeah, I know that's cliche, but it's true. And so when you pray before you go to bed at night, or you pray daily, which I hope you're doing, the first thing you should be saying is, what do you want for me to do? What do you want out of my life? How can I be of service in the kingdom? The more you do that, the more it's on your mind and on your heart, the more you become like Christ. You're not perfect. You have shortcomings. But that's a process that you're going through every day. You're growing spiritually every day. Through the prayer, through the study of the word, and crucifying and denying self. I know that ain't easy, but at the end of John, we read about read it many times when we were studying John. These words were written that you may have an abundant life. If you want life, then you got to deny yourself. Simple as that. All right. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.